everybody and welcome to Watch the Story 300. I'm doing this in a very rough way because I won't get a word in otherwise. This is the 300 episode, it's a quite a milestone. There's only one way to celebrate that and that's with our two favourite people in the entire world and uh, they're the most listened to guests we have, the most requested guests we have. No, it's not Anton Deck, but it is people who are extremely good looking, handsome, beautiful, generous, kind and all those other superlatives. Yeah. That uh, we'll list throughout the show as we go on. The one and only Paul Howard, and one and only Gary Mackle, gentlemen. Thank you. All right, lads. Why does Thanks, Paul's guys. name get called out first? Because the last time I called your name out first. Oh, very so good. It's, I believe it's in the contract that our legal team have it. Your legal team. That that's very fair. Well, I'll give it to him because he, he's he's an award-winning author. So yeah. I'll give him that one. Multi award winner. I won an award, lads. A long, long time since I won an award. Is it really, Paul? You yeah. won a birthday, you cabbage. Yeah. Well, oh, no, I mean, I meant an individual. I mean, I, I, I mean, I didn't win the bat. I mean, I was, I was one of the writers on a show that won a BAFTA, and oh, here I you go. have it. No, I don't have it. Like, you know what I mean? Like that isn't in my sitting room. I just, I got my hands on it that night, and then they had to break about three of my fingers to get it off me before, uh, before they. Before is, it, is it not like schoolboy yeah. football where you all get a shot of it and then you have to give it back at the end of the year? No, no, it's a. They are permanent awards, uh, oh, yeah. and but but um, but yeah, but but yeah, they they. Uh, they I, th- I I don't know who actually got it. I think it goes to the producer who who for Bad Sisters was Faye Dorn, um, and and so she got it. But we all had a shot of it. Like the thing is to. <laughs> Like I, I, I never dreamed of going to the BAFTAs. Like you know, and yeah. but for me, holding the award was great. But the best moment of the whole night for me was I'm sitting there at the table, and I'm me, chi- I'm me chicken supreme arrives. Like you know, and I'm at, it's like I'm at me Debs, you know. And, uh, <laughs> just feel this, <laughs> I just feel this hand on my shoulder, and uh, and I hear, excuse me, honey, and I I turn around right, and it's Kate Winslet. And in Stop. this in this moment of I don't know what happened. I don't know the other way. I some people just don't know know how to behave around celebrities, and I'm kind of one of those people. I kind of went to jelly a bit, you know. And I don't know what put it in my head. I thought she was coming over to talk to me, right? Mm-hmm. Like to say, "Are you?" I love the the what's the story podcast. I've heard you at Gary Mackle on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Naturally, just, that's that's what happened. Yeah. Naturally, yeah. So I, I, I kind of turned around and, oh, hi. And she said, oh, sorry, I'm just trying to get past your chair there. Right. <laughs> I, I'd already such, a, sort of, such, such a Paul story. Such, I'd, already kind of, to I'd, only, I'd already stood up a little bit, so I sort of committed to it. Like it looked like I was about to hug her or something. Oh, it was terrible. <laughs> but she's done him. Oh, she's gorgeous! Like you know, yeah. she's um, she's amazing. I don't know if you've seen that show that she won the BAFTA for. It's called I Am Ruth. Have you seen it? No. no well, she's in it, and she play she her and her daughter starring it together. Basically, it's about this kid who kind of disappears into um, the social media world, into the internet. Like she's actually forgotten how to. Uh, engage with real human beings and she's just on social media all the time taking pictures of herself hating herself like Mero was such taking (laughs) 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 sorry sorry Paul go on ahead but anyway (laughs) apparently this uh, 
apparently this um, program, there was no script for it at all. Nobody wrote a script. They just said to her, right, you're both in the kitchen. And obviously they know how to interact around each other because they're mother and daughter. But they just said, right, you're in the kitchen. Um, You're having a bad day. You've had a bad day at work. You're uncommunicative. Kate Winslet, you're trying to talk to your daughter. Go. And they just filmed all the scenes like that. And it's extraordinary, you know. No no script for the whole show. No, apparently not. That's that's what it is. Speaking, speaking from experience in 300 episodes of doing that, it, it's not a good idea in the long term. <laughs> Lads, it'll, ca- it'll catch up with them eventually. You're you're both looking tremendous, I have to say. Danny, yeah, Danny, you look fantastic. You Thanks, look, Bob. You, you look I, think, I know I it's, it's fair to say we're this, all looking great. We are all looking great, but we know I know you've been on this journey, this health journey for the last couple of years, and um uh, I, 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 t- I, and Gary was saying the same earlier on. You look absolutely incredible. So good for you. It's, it's it, like I, I, I sometimes don't like talking to Danny about it because I don't want to sound condescending or anything. But hmm. of all the kind of health kicks and turnarounds and transformations, it's fucking remarkable. Hmm. It, it's and uh, and and look, kudos to you, Dan. Unbelievable. You, I, you, I, you I appreciate it, lads. Thank you. I'd love to see our flute. Um, th- well, that that's that's a work in progress. Um, you, know. you were getting your vajazzle done earlier, weren't you? I was, I was. I went in for a Brazilian, and I came out with a Mexican. And I'll allude to what that actually is later. Um, you got the Louis Vuitton logo <laughs> vajazzled on. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, well, I mean, um, it, is, it is a luxury item. Gary. Said he looked like Tom Hanks from Philadelphia earlier on. Um, lads, 300 episodes in, you used to call them chapters when it yeah. started. Um, yeah. Danny, I'll start with you. Thank you. What does it mean to you, 300 episodes in? Uh, I I just want to thank uh, the listeners. I want to thank my ma, thank me da. Uh, <laughs> I want to thank the, the, the man upstairs. Hang on, Danny, I'll go get you a BAFTA. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, to be honest, it's uh. It's a minor miracle that it's gone 300 episodes, Gary, and the fact that people still listen is uh, remarkable. But um, look, we're, we're only in it for the celebrity friends, to be honest with you. Yeah, but you've, you've gathered a few of them. Mero, what's it mean to you? Um, I don't know. I haven't thought about it, to be honest. It's eight years. It's at, their, it's at their pissing, boy. Well, I've asked Danny Darcy. You had a minute and a half to think about it. So I'll ask you again. What does it mean to you now, 300 episodes in? <laughs> it's it's amazing. I didn't think we'd last this long. Um, it's, you it's get your own answer, please. Huge, huge thanks. Huge thanks to Danny. He's no better person to do a podcast with. Um, lads, can I ask you a question? Is, is there any... Is there any chance of you going back to the kind of live podcasts? Because myself and Gary, we used to love... Um, we used to love sitting in Fitzpatrick's with you. Like, are they... Uh, uh, can can we can can me and Gary maybe put pressure on Fitzpatrick to come on board again as a sponsor or absolutely we, we, we emailed them back in February and we got no reply so any um, any hotel really Paul to be honest with any you. hotel really our, our, our loyalty them. our loyalty is that of essentially people who are in business with Saudi Arabia we'll we'll take what we can get and yeah. uh, so long as it makes us richer we're all for it. I, I do rather when we're in the one room, I have to say. I, yeah, do, I do rather that. But look, it was a global a pandemic. COVID-y, doesn't it, Gary? Pardon? It feels a bit covid doing it this way. Yeah, it does. It? it feels like we don't trust each other's health. Yeah. yeah. Well, in uh, fairness, I, I wouldn't trust Graham Ergen's health. 
Ah, Danny, stop it. This is a celebration, not a pick on me moment. I mean, I'm not you trying to look pick very on pale, Mero. That's the lighting in my room. And my teal ceiling. That's right, yeah. Yeah, uh, and also since, since we spoke last, well, not since Jesus last week, uh, your 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 team Shamrock Rovers uh, won the League of Ireland, Mero. What does that mean to you? Uh, four uh, in a row. I mean, yeah. when I was a kid, I went to see. I went. I used to go and see Rovers, and they won four in a row, and that was everybody said at the time it'll never be done again. You know, and yeah. here we are. Like it's you know, amazing. It's how amazing. many will they do in a row? Do you think is that it? Um, going into this season, I thought it was up, especially the start of the season. Um, went six games without a win, uh, one defeat and five draws, and I thought, all right, that's it. Now enjoy it while it's while it's there. Um, but with this, the six games out of win, they were playing well. They just couldn't score, or they they couldn't get a win over the line. But uh, Friday night at St. Pat's in Shakar, it was absolutely amazing. It was, I can't even explain it. It was just brilliant because they needed the win to get it over the line. And then um, they scored in the 82nd minute. You know, those kind of last 10 minute goals. Then they got another one in stoppage time uh, and uh, pandemonium. It was brilliant. Brilliant. I think that, I think they've got five in them. If a lot of the squad is sticking around, I think uh, if any, if we were going to be caught, it should have been this season by the likes of Derry and, Maybe St. Pat's, but I think yeah. they probably shit the bed and uh, the strife our five is on. And I've just noticed that Gary has changed his name to Big Show. Big you mentioned the one earlier and I forgot you. It, it was either that or the Penetrator. So I went <laughs> with the Big Show. <laughs> Sorry, Merle. <laughs> Paul, what was it like in, a, in the 80s in Milltown for the four uh, it were it. I mean, they were very different. Ah, different times. Fado, fado. Um, <laughs> the, the the mad thing is right. Uh, like I was talking to Keith Kelly about this, uh, our mutual friend, a few months ago. Like you know, like our childhood uh, smelled different to the Ireland of today, right? You know, you go outside your house there, Meryl and Ballybrack, like there's clean air and everything. Like you know, when we were growing up, everywhere smelled of 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 uh, smoky coal and and vinegar, right? Because it was just like <laughs> that's just that's just what our childhood smelled like. And m- even Milltown smelled of smoky coal and vinegar in those days. So really? that's what I remember. I remember getting the bus, and, and uh, especially night matches. I remember getting the bus to Donnybrook and then just walking up that road and uh, pitch dark, freezing cold. Because no summer football, it was all winter football. Your breath in front of you, you're looking at your breath coming out of your mouth. And then there was always um, a, a kind of freeze on of danger at the matches as well, because there'd always be a bit of trouble. Like, you know, uh, I know it's totally different now. Mera, there wouldn't be fights and stuff like that. Like they're different. Uh, the, the Rovers fans, they're they're, they're, they're pussies really compared to when <laughs> I was a kid like you know but compared always, to the 80s is it oh uh, <laughs> listen and there'd be like I remember I, I remember I, my, my ma stopped me from going to the matches right when she when she uh, read the words batten charge in the paper one day like you know and it was that <laughs> it was <laughs> it was it was a pre-season match it was Rovers against Celtic and no 
it was a European Cup match. It was Rovers against Celtic. I think 87 around that time. And um, there was, I remember somebody walked across the pitch. Two lads walked across the pitch with a banner saying, no, uh, no brutality, Port Leisha. It was a protest against the brutality in Port Leisha prison. So there was always that kind of backdrop of the troubles and all that kind of thing. Anyway, the cops weighed into the crowd. And I remember there was yeah, baton charge. I remember coming home and I got caught up in it. Like, you know, and you're sort of running the excitement of that when you're, you know, 15, like, you know, and uh, and then but I, when my ma read baton charge in the, in the paper the next day, uh, I had to sit out a ban for about, I think it was a three months, three months. <laughs> to go. But my ma used to like my ma used to let me go like to Dalymount Park when I was about 14, like me and Mousy, um, who you know, and uh, Stephen Brown from from uh, Oakton. Like we, we used to go 14 years of age. We'd be traveling into town and then across to Dalymount or Tolka to see matches, you know. Like I said to him, years later, I said to my ma, like, what, what were you thinking? Like, what were you thinking at me at 14 years of age? Travel yeah. across the city like that. What'd she, she say? She says to me, I thought it was a good idea because I never wanted you to be afraid. I thought Very that nice. was a great answer. Like That's a great know? line, that yeah. Yeah, yeah. That we were um we were just sort of we were allowed, like, you know, and it, it kind of you, you sort of grew up a bit, like because you knew how to change buses and stuff like that. But the football, I mean, the football was great. I mean, I don't know how good the football was actually, but I mean, I remember they had I remember Dermot Keeley playing for Rovers and that team, you know, and Liam O'Brien and you know, before them, um, like Liam Buckley and Alan Campbell. Like brilliant, brilliant play. Well, they were brilliant to us at the time. I was gonna say you. Who yeah. was your favourite? Like, who was your favourite player growing up of them, of that time? Alan Campbell. I think so. Yeah, because he was he was from Ballybrack, like you know, because we all knew he was from Ballybrack. He was from Ashlawn, I think. Yeah. And, um, and him and Buckley just had this brilliant partnership. You know, the big man like Buckley used to head them down into Campbell and uh, and Campbell would score. But brilliant. I think I think they scored forty goals between them one season or something like something outrageous like that. Um. But but the great thing about the League of Ireland was that you'd see the players around, like you know Pooch Davis uh, and Chippy Devlin and everything. They all lived, they lived like up the road, like you know. But yeah. Chippy Devlin would walk by, and like there'd be a hush. We'd be out playing football, and and then you know you'd accidentally on purpose kick the ball over, uh, <laughs> boom, just just so we kick it back, like you know. So Chippy Devlin had kicked your ball. Oh, they were great days, you know. I tend to romanticize. Uh, my childhood a bit, you know, but I, I'm sure it was as brilliant as I remember. <laughs> There's a, a great rite of passage that you've kind of inadvertently brought up there, Paul, and that is that thing of like that when you get to those teenage years and you're allowed venture to the city centre for the first time. And it's when you said it there in that line from your mom saying, I didn't want you to be afraid. There's, there's beauty in that. It's a, yeah. it's, a, it's a great, great response. And uh I was just curious, like, do you do you remember that kind of thing when you were that you're you know oh my friends are allowed go can I go and you know you can sense the hesitancy from your parents but then you're allowed and it's just that feeling you do feel like a grown up all of a sudden yeah getting on the seven and going into the city centre me and Rob Cavney used to go in we get off the bus at um, Trinity College walk over to Virgin Megastar on the keys yeah up to Dawson Street then into game just innocent uh 
great days, great memories. A little bit of independence as well. But you'd be oh. shitting yourself as well in case you saw any townies, like, do you know that sort oh, of way? Townies, yeah. yeah. How old have you been, Gary? <laughs> uh, 10. I know. Um, <laughs> uh, 15, say. Four, 14, 15. Yeah, yeah. And the um, thing is, as well, guys, we had no money. Like, that was the thing I remember. Like, you, no. you had your bus fare and you were just skinned. And you just go around, you go to HMV or Virgin Megastore and just look through the same albums and dream about the day you could actually buy it, you know? Buy yeah, yeah. It, it's, uh, but it, it's, it's a different way of growing up now for kids. Like, I definitely think our generation was a better time to grow up, if you like. Yeah. Um, mm. And I think the country was a little bit more organic. All those years ago, I think now. I remember making your confirmation and getting your money, and that then you were you'd go down to Dunleary with your your class, and then once you did that, you were kind of free to go every Saturday. Prior you to that, have you yours were... in a Revolut vault, I'd say. Have you? <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't invested in crypto, I heard. <laughs> when you then talk you, about the you, seven bus there, right? Um, I, th- I, I, Mara, I might have told you this story recently. Like, there's a friend of my brother's from from Ashlawn. I won't name him, but he was going. He was. He was what does his name sound like? Ah, uh, uh, it Sh- sounds like Sh- it sounds like Townie, actually, right? But <laughs> anyway, he, he was he was on the seven, and the bus turned down ch- uh, Churchview Road there, right? And it's flying along Churchview Road. And he looks out the window and he's on his own on the bus and he sees these four hard lads uh, walking towards Tesco's. Right. And he said, I don't know what I don't know what possessed me. He said, I just did that again. Just showed them my fist. Right. <laughs> threatened, threatened them. Right. And he said the next thing they started running after the bus. Right. <laughs> right? And instead of sitting on the bus, I'm coming up to the bus stop and I'm looking over my shoulder thinking, Oh, they're gonna catch the bus, and just before they get they get to the bus stop, the bus takes off. Right, and he goes, "Oh, thank God for that!" And he looks back, and they're chasing after him again. Right, they head after the bus all the way. They re- chased it all the way down to Lachlanstown Wood. Jesus, he jumped off at Lachlanstown Wood, but they ca- he said sometimes they'd be like ten feet away from the bus. It was almost <laughs> like the busman knew. <laughs> the busman knew, and he was doing it just to you know like test his nerves and everything, you know. But I just love that, just waving, just giving, just doing that with the fist. We can give you that <laughs> <laughs> for nothing, like you know. Yeah, absolutely nothing. That, that was the character as well. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, United 2-0 down, lads. Um, just looking at the results here. Liverpool 2-1 up, seven minutes to go. Yeah. yeah. You're obsessed with Man United, is it, Paul? Um, like, I, I keep I, I keep what I like to call a watching brief on the results. Like, you know? <laughs> That's putting it fucking wild. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's more fucking... Uh, he gives more information than Samuel Luckhurst of the Manchester Evening News, for fuck's sake. <laughs> If you want, if you're a United fan, follow Paul Howard. You'd be right up to date. <laughs> it's just to annoy Gary, Paul. Is it? No, no. Uh, like I, like I've, I've hated Man United since before Gary was born. Like you know, but but it's an obsession. I'm obsessed, obsessed with Man United as well. Like you know, like I'm obsessed with Liverpool in a very po- Liverpool football club in a very positive way. <laughs> like and, a, and it rewards me. I find it very rewarding following Liverpool, but there's a dark, there's a darkness comes over me when, uh, especially when Man United are losing. 
I don't like the person I become. <laughs> no, <laughs> I just become very, I just become very sneery and um, just not not a nice person to be around if you're a Manchester United fan. Just on the topic, uh, Paul, and you'll you'll. Oh, man, is having a nightmare. By the way, sorry. Go on. You'll back me up on this. Danny yeah. called it on Aaron Ten Eric Ten Hag. Am I right? Oh, geez. Danny said it. I think Danny said it the day he was appointed. Danny said. He wasn't happy. Danny no. was not happy. Danny has anything. Gary, Gary loved him. Gary still backs him to this day. Sorry, Paul. Can you. you has anything, has anything changed in the meantime? To, to Have you changed your mind at all? Or do you still think he's not the man for United? Uh, he's he's not the man, Manchester United Football Club. No, no, no further statement at this time. He never was, was he, Danny? I, I don't believe so. I don't believe so. I like. I'm sure he's he's credible, and I'm sure he'd be brilliant at it. Everton Football Club or a Portsmouth Football Club or a, you know, but um, for this is Manchester United Football Club we're talking about, you know, and we let Jurgen yeah. Klopp go go to that Merseyside shower, and Diego Simeone oh. sitting pretty and you know just. He'll never leave, though, Danny. Simeone will never leave Madrid. He's the, the highest-paid manager, highest manager in the world. And yeah. he What's never that? has to win anything. He never has to win a league, ever. Oh, lads. Doing a bit of digging and finding a bit of dirt on someone will go a long way. And I think the days of, you know, blackmailing people into doing things, you know, all they have to do is find... Simeone has skeletons in his closet. And the glazier... I'd say literally should... as well, Danny. Yeah. Literally. yeah. Yeah, and the glazier should concentrate on unearthing them and forcing them... Like, this isn't hard, lads. This you, isn't that you know United I mean? cannot keep sacking managers. Yeah, but that they doesn't have, mean they should they, settle for one that's not working. No, but no, definitely not. But here's the other thing: once Pep Guardiola and Klopp are in the Premier League, United aren't going to be anywhere near it. Sacking mm. Ten mm. Hag isn't going to do a fucking thing. It's going to do nothing because you've the same shower of cowards that decide not well, to turn up on a match day. To, to be the fair, same shower of yeah. cowards that don't want to put it in and train. And they're now briefing the press that they run too much during the week. They are moaning about their socks being too tight. They are a shower of fucking cowards. He signs so, most of them. But I was going to say a lot of them. Like Ten Hag has spent a huge amount of money in in his his short time there. But I think the other side of this is that the caliber of players he's brought in. With the exception of maybe one or two, and even at that, Casemiro this season is not Casemiro last season, you know. And he, he has it, he's they've had a fierce amount of injuries, um, this season. Maybe fierce. they are running too much, then maybe Listen, they are. Maybe they, they, they are. They played and too many pre season matches as well. They, too, they, yeah, too much travel. Paul, sorry, too if, much if, I can, if I can step in there for a second, lads, I would just like to say though, the pre season that I mean, very successful pre season, you know. Mm-hmm. They won a lot of games. The, the thing about pre, the, there really is no preseason anymore. Like one season kind of runs into the next. As far as I can see, players get about two weeks off or three weeks off in the summer, and you're straight into another season. And United played, they had a tour of America and they'd six or seven matches, I think, over mm-hmm. there. And I thought I thought they looked jaded when the season started. And you know, the, like the the other thing. And, and, and I'm saying this in United's favour, like, and, and it and it's it, it sticks in my craw, like to say, but, yeah, like, would you stop, Paul? They, they had an they had a very very good season last last year, right? They had a very very good season, but it's very difficult in this era of 
you know, Man City with their 90-something points, you know, doing that. It's very difficult if you're chasing them to put together back-to-back seasons. Like Liverpool, Liverpool did it twice, I think. But when Liverpool won the league, the next season, they were terrible, you know. And then, you know, they chased them all the way to the last day uh, two years ago. And then the next season... They they had a fall off, and I I think I think you just can't do it. You can't sustain, um, you just can't sustain the pace of chasing a, a cheating Manchester City. You know, especially when your team is full of asthmatics. They they traditionally don't chase well. Well, well I, I know a guest, a previous guest on your show who now lives in a, in a bunker in Russia. Uh, <laughs> that 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 theory. Um, but I I I I don't think. I I just said, see, I said to him one night, can you just tell me one player uh, for Liverpool who has asthma? Just one. And Mm. he said, I can't because that would be revealing my sources. And I said, but you've said said that 72% of the Liverpool team have, that's a very specific number, like 72%. Mm. Like, so he said, you clearly know you have a number in mind. Just tell me one of them. I can't, that's revealing my sources. So I, look, I, I don't now it's it. up to you to say whether you know it's up to people to believe whether he's full of shit or not. But that to me sounds like a man who's who's full of shit because I know like if you when I, Vincent Brown was my boss when I worked for the Tribune, you know, I mean, if you just went into him and said, "Oh, seventy-two percent of the Ireland team are on drugs," right? He would say, "Well, which ones?" And you just go, "Oh no, no, we don't. You don't need to know the names. Just seventy-two percent." And he would just sort of, you know, you'd just be sent home. You know what I mean? But <laughs> in the current era of like citizen journalism, you can put any old shite up on the internet, like, oh, and you'll always get gullible fools to believe it. I, you know, all, all I'm saying, I, I don't need evidence. I, I believe him. Well, I tell you something. If they're on asthma medication, it only, it obviously only works every second year. <laughs> Paul, did you love Vincent Brown as a boss? Oh yeah. I mean he was he was he was just incredible, like, you know. Um yeah. I mean I was terrified of him, like because I was very young when I went to work in the trip. When I was working for I was working for Southside when I was about 17, and Southside was owned by the Sunday Tribune, and Vincent moved their newsroom to right outside his office, right? So the first time I knew Vincent Brown from seeing him on television, I was just in awe of him. And then like he kind of looked like Gene Wilder in those days, you know. He kind of had that <laughs> early hair down the back yeah. and everything, and he he was just ah, you just kind of you you were just in awe of him. You heard all the stories about him, you know, interviewing Dominic Dominic McGlinchey when he was on the run and all that kind of stuff. And he would just he was a legend, like. But he, he would the the. See, I, I think I might have said this to you before. I could never watch Vincent Brown tonight on TV3 because I would what? just get, I would get Vietnam style flashbacks to the editorial meetings, right? <laughs> and he'd be having, he'd be having someone like Coveney, like, you know, Coveney would come in and he'd be bu- trying to bullshit Vincent, you know, and, 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 and Vincent would go, ah, where's your report? And Coveney go, the report will be released uh, within uh, a certain period. Well, now, where is it? Where is it? And he would just harangue him and harangue him and harangue him. <laughs> it was like, do you remember in school when there was a teacher and you just, you'd say, he'd say, where's your homework? And you say, oh, just looking for it, sir. And you're looking through your bag, right? And you're hoping, yeah, Mr. hoping the teacher just fucking forgets about it, right? 
And the teacher holds the whole class up while you're looking in your bag and you keep looking up going, is he still looking? And then <laughs> you know there's no homework. The teacher knows there's no homework. Everybody in the class knows there's no homework. But the sport is in making you go through it. And Vincent was like that with Kobe and, and, and many, many others. But for me, it was like being at one of his editorial meetings, right? Because you never... Vincent, Vincent had these things, right? They were, he'd have a notion... I'd say there were certain things he hated, like certain phrases he hated or ideas. He hated lazy thinking. He hated lazy phraseology. And I remember one time I had written something about Paver Pavarotti, uh, sorry, um, Paddy Maloney out of the Chieftains was going to be singing with Pavarotti at the Taj Mahal, right? And I had written this piece, like knocked it out in about, <laughs> 10 minutes on a Saturday morning under deadline. And I just described Pavarotti as the world famous tenor. And Vin, you just never knew who Vince was going to go for at a meeting. And he went for me that morning, right? And I was like, ah, the world famous tenor. What do you mean world famous? I said, well, he's famous all over the world. He said, no, 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 no. Ah, Jesus, no, 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 no. He said, are there, do you think, do you think every Inuit in the world has heard of Pavarotti? <laughs> no, Vincent's thing was because because there was probably some people in the world who hadn't heard of him, then he wasn't world famous, you know. Uh, there's tribes on islands in the Pacific uh, and they've never been exposed to the outside world. Have they heard of Pavarotti? <laughs> then he's not world famous. Um, but you learn so much from that. Like, you know, you just learned... Uh, to check everything like he was a stickler for checking things and um but i tell you what he was so supportive of of young people because i i was 17 in there and i looked about 14 like i looked like i looked like child labor gone in there you know i looked like <laughs> someone in there you said to me you look like a missing poster of a child uh did i had this sort of innocent look about me you know and uh but Vincent, Vincent was giving me work to do for the Sunday Tribune at 17. Like, you know, I couldn't, if I'd gone to the end, though, I'd have been waiting until I was about 26 to be doing the stuff I was doing in the Tribune at 17. So, wow. so brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant. He didn't care. He didn't care how old you were. If, if, if you're good enough, then you got a chance, you know. Gary gets very uh, giddy at watching Vincent Brown on YouTube, as we all know from the WhatsApp group every once a month. Gary, you'll, you'll oh, no, look, like I watch, uh, there, there's a brilliant 55 minute video on YouTube. It's all Vincent's best bits from the Tonight Show. <laughs> I genuinely watch it fucking 10 times a month. If I like, if I'm cooking in the kitchen, I just stick it on and just listen to it. And I know yeah. it word for word, but he, he was just a powerhouse. He <laughs> held everyone to account. And like he, John Burton and Joe Higgins, he would just balance the two of them. Like a cat with a with, with a wool ball, and he'd be just bouncing them off each other. And they were too fucking thick to realise what he was doing, but he was a genius. Um, but you'll never see the like from again uh, uh, on on TV with politicians. Um, not, not even, not even that. You, just the, the, the media. Sorry, Danny. Is, sorry, Danny. It's three 0 to Newcastle now. Sorry, go ahead. Very well. Is it really? Yeah, the, the oh, media is, landscape yeah. has changed that much now that like somebody like Vincent, just there's nobody cut from that cloth. Like even yeah, a but I would say, ago, I, I why isn't there though? Oh, I accept what you're saying, Danny. But the media landscape 
um, there weren't many Vincent Browns even before yeah, the media yeah. landscape changed, you know. I mean, like, one thing that I really, that really, really um, saddens me about modern journalism is how freely and easily people move from being political correspondents to being spokes, you know, media yes. handlers. For, and, and I kind of think, you know... <clears throat> I, this is my feeling of it. If a political party comes to you and says uh, we'd we'd like to hire you to be a spokesman for the party, I would be I would be thinking to myself, I must have been doing a shit job for the last ten years. If they if they want me inside, or either that, or I've been doing an outstanding job. But Vincent was um, was that normal in your day, Paul? It happened from yeah, it happened from time to time. But in those days, you had journalists who. You, you kind of knew they were a Fianna Fáil journalist or a Fine Gael journalist. And when there was a change of government, you kind of knew, you could almost say in advance who the next government press secretary was going to be. Um, but but Were you, were you ever approached, Paul? No, no. I mean, I, I, mean, I wasn't ever, I mean, I, I didn't write about politics, but I mean, you know, like, for instance, like when I was writing about the FAI, if John Delaney had come to me and said, we'd love you to be the PRO for the FAI, I would just be furious with myself. I'd just say, why have I, what kind of a job have I been doing that this man would want me in the building? Like, you know, now, um, now, now uh, his last, one of his last appointments was Cal Derville. Yeah, yeah. He's now, he's now the PRO for the FAI. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Carl, Carl's great. You know, Carl's a brilliant journalist, great pro, great pro for all those years. The the funny thing about Carl was I never really thought Carl was was especially um uh sympathetic to Delaney. I kind of thought when he appoints him, I thought, wow, that's um that's that's a that's a bit punchy. I didn't think he was a Delaney acolyte, you know. Right. Uh, so it was a strange appointment. But um what I was saying about Vincent Brown was that, you know. <clears throat> Like you saw Vincent Brown, Gary, I'm sure this is on that clip, that 55 minute thing you're watching, you know, where when the, the IMF came to Dublin and, oh, yeah. and he's sitting in the audience. Right. And every single other journalist there is is playing the game. Right. They know. Oh, yeah. There's the IMF. They're over here. Uh, we and they, they should have just took it as on understanding that on this is what happened. This is what happens when a country gets bankrupted. The IMF came in and they're just covering they're covering it as it breaks. And Vincent is the only one there saying, "Who who are you, and what gives you the right to come in here and tell us how to run our economy?" You know, I I can't remember how he put it, but it but he was basically saying to saying to the uh, you know what why should the people of Ireland be forced to take on debts that have absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with them. And it was and, and I'm right in saying, Paul, the guy who was leading the, the talk for the IMF that day, he kind of let on for a good 40 seconds that he didn't understand Vincent. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he, he didn't understand Vincent in the sense that he understood what he was saying. Yeah, but, but it wasn't protocol to be asked that no question. Protocol. That's not how journalists behave. You know, mm -hmm. he's coming from Europe where, you know, you, the journalists who would, who would, you know, usually sort of cover his press briefings would be incredibly well paid, uh, would know their place. You know, if, if they asked a question out of turn, they would get the doyen of the press, whoever that happened to be, would pull them aside and said, well, actually, that's not protocol. The way we ask a question is this way. But Vincent sort of just he's like a he sort of rolled in there like a grenade a live grenade 
<laughs> it's, it's just like, and, and everybody's going, everybody at home is going, yes, exactly. Like, you know, and who else is asking those questions? Nobody. Everybody else is going, oh, yeah, the IMF are here now. How do you think this will, how do you think this will impact on Irish people? And Vincent's going, who, who are you? <laughs> How dare you come here with your fancy laptop bag and your designer glasses and tell <laughs> people that they have to take on, you know, the, the lion's share of Europe's debt burden. It was it was it was brilliant. And it was such a moment for him as well. You know, it's uh, it's like there, there's so many of those moments with Vincent as well. I remember one. I don't know if it's on that clip you refer to or not, Gary, but it was remember. <clears throat> Uh, not so long ago, there was a couple, a, a well-to-do couple, we'll say, who were being, I don't know if they were being evicted or if there was a move on their house in Cliney, and it turned out they had several properties. The Kellys. But, but when, when the media were camped outside that house, none of them were crossed the threshold. Yeah, and, then Vincent, and then Vincent arrives <laughs> on the scene, and it's very much, what are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, yeah. I'm going in. Oh, sorry, going, that was Gars Hill. Gar's Hill, yeah. And yeah, he just yeah. Not the Brian O'Donnell. Brian O'Donnell, yeah. 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 He just marches straight past. And all of a sudden, it's like everybody else then goes, oh, fuck, well, if he's going in. And <laughs> it was like the fucking leading the charge. And it was just, yeah. you know, a brilliant. And he's brilliant knocking moment. on the front door and the big glass panels to the side of the door. And here he is looking in, hopping <laughs> the door out of it. He's in the back garden and all, the view over Cliney Bay and all. He was picking up the gravel and everything, looking at the gravel. <laughs> See, that's um, the thing, like, you know, the, the, you know, with other journalists, there was an invisible barrier there that they wouldn't cross. And Vincent's yeah. thing is, there's no, ba- I don't see any barrier here. So I'm I'm going in and, and Vincent <laughs> learned his journalism in the North. And I think, I think anybody who covered the troubles in those early years was just harder than anybody who came out of any journalism school. You know, like a, a pal of mine, Declan Lynch, says that about journalists now. Like, you know, journalists now, when you meet them, especially younger guys going into the profession, I don't mean any, any. I don't, this sounds mean-spirited, but it's not meant to be. But you could be meeting junior accountants or a fellow working in a chemist shop, you know. Um, they, they're they're mannerly, uh, they're you know, they're presentable. Um, like when I started in journalism first, the, there was a huge number of journalists who were just deeply, uh, deeply strange people, you know. Um, alcoholics, a huge number of them. I mean, like, you know, like it's amazing that the, a newspaper like the, like the press group like used to produce two newspapers every day and one on Sunday. And if you went to the, 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 the white horse in all of their staff were in there like, <laughs> like you know and they, they brought out all these newspapers but but the ones who were schooled in the north people like kevin myers and and vincent brown were just because they let they, they were at the coal face of something like vincent vincent was arrested and charged with possession of a either a, a shot, I think it might have been a submachine gun or something in the, <laughs> the early days of the Troubles. And and Vince was doing a story on how easy it was to acquire arms. More <laughs> like, you know, probably the ones that Hawhey brought in, like, you know, but Vincent, but that, but that's, that's where Vincent, do you know what I mean? Like that's, so don't tell Vincent he can't walk across this invisible line to this person's property. He's been around more corners <laughs> than any of these lads put together, you know. One time I was in the office, I'll never forget this, I was working for sport at the time and I was walking by his door and I learned 
uh, not to make eye contact with Vincent, right? Because I just happened to be walking by his door. His door was open and I just looked up and he looked at me and he went, and I, just as I passed the door, I just said, Paul, come in here. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, in I go, and uh, he said to, <laughs> to me, he said, anyway, named a TD, right? And he said, ah, ah, isn't the doll talking about family values this morning? And he he beats his wife. And I said, oh, right. And I said, why is he telling me this? So he said, I, I want you to ring him up and ask him, does he beat his wife? <laughs> And I said, right. I said, no, ring him. Ring him right now. Here's his number. And he gave me his number and he sent me out. And I sh- I was just shitting myself. It was absolute <laughs> shit. I didn't know what to do. So I knew a guard in your man's local station, you know, and uh, I rang him up and he said, um, give me a second. I'll have a look. So he went to the book. Every Garda station, I don't know if it's still the case, I suspect it is, but every Garda station in those days had a ledger in which they wrote out every crime longhand, right, Meryl? So if you went in and you said, you know, uh, my car was stolen, that's written in the book, the time it was reported, every, all the crimes were actually logged longhand in a big kind of Dickens-style book, right? Bob Cratchit kind of style. And you can actually go into a guard station and ask to see the book. Like it's public record, right? Nobody, it's just nobody knows this and nobody ever does. But anyway, um, your man went and had a look for me and he came back and he said, you be two complaints about him in the past. One was withdrawn uh, the next day and one was withdrawn a week later, right? So, so he was, so I went back to Vincent with this information and he said, no, that's not good enough. You have to ring him and put it to him. <laughs> anyway. Did you I tell Vincent you rang a guard? Yeah. I thought he'd give me a pat on the back. I thought he'd give me an attaboy for that. Like, you know, and anyway. Attaboy. <laughs> he says to me, no, no, you have to ring him. And I just went out. I couldn't, right? I, ju- I was too, I was too soft. I just was too soft to do it, right? But anyway, this other journalist, uh, a, a woman who was around the same age as me, she just went, I'll do it. And she took the number off me. And she rang him up. And she said it in front of Vincent. No, no, just in the newsroom. And she basically took the story off me. Like she could see, like, like she could see I was basically Harry Maguire. I didn't, (laughs) I didn't fucking have it. Right. And, (laughs) and she's, and she had it like she was hungry. Like, you know, she would have done anything for story. She just snatched the paper. I'm ring him. She rings him up and I hear him on the phone and she's saying to him, stop crying. Stop. Oh, for God's sake. And anyway, he admitted everything to her, absolutely everything, and bawling his eyes out. And she went on to become an outstanding journalist, you know, and I knew that day. And and Vincent absolutely loved her for it, like, you know. But then I was just, you know. I but did it, it didn't go to print, did it? No, no. That was the point. Vince went, ah, we can't print this. This is libelous. <laughs> <laughs> He just wanted just to ring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But just even even being around the, tri- the you know, we'd read we'd great editors after after Vince and like Peter Murta was a great editor. You know, Matt Cooper was an absolutely brilliant editor. Um, but there was something really sparky about the Tribune when Vincent was there. You know, it was mm. just it, it was kind of like, you know, 
he had this running feud with Hahi and they hated each other. Um, and Vincent was kind of born for Hahi, really. You know, like they say, like, like they say that, like, you know, somebody like Hunter S. Thompson was born for Richard Nixon, just a journalist who is going to be the nemesis of that person, you know, and it was Hunter S. Thompson for Nixon and, um, and, and Vincent, Vincent was the man for Hahi, you know, and what was extraordinary about that relationship was that when, when Hahi was dying, um, Vincent used to go out to his house every once a week for for a long long time a couple of years i think you know and spend time with him and these two kind of adversaries and they had this sort of tuesdays with mari kind of relationship where um they, they you know it was kind of like just to just like two kind of retired heavyweights like talking about the old days you know and I, I thought that was amazing one thing i love about vincent by the way and i loved when he when he was a journalist he had no interest in money and i always thought it was a great thing um for for a journalist not to be interested in money like he 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 had a nice house in Dorky and everything you know but he told a friend of mine that he he he'd never be he hadn't been in the black since he was in college like you know he's always always in debt for various things and but he wasn't motivated by money but he was fascinated by people who were motivated by money. Like he, you know, he loved spending time with people like Michael Smurfett. Like he'd have dinner with Michael Smurfett a couple of times a year, and and that, but but was fascinated by him, but didn't want to be like that. But just mm. couldn't, you know. Just he was just fascinated by people who were fascinated by money. That's that's the way I'd put it, you know. But he wasn't corrupted by it himself, you know. And hated politicians. That was a brilliant thing about him as well. Like you know, and I'm sorry we're talking we're talking about him in the past tense, but I'm talking about him in career terms. You know, mm. he hated politicians just instinctively hated them. Like you know, just <laughs> and I mean, they, they not enough po political journalists in Ireland are like that. I kind of think they respect politicians a lot in Ireland, but vincent had that kind of american approach to it like that he, he just considered all politicians to be irredeemably corrupt until they proved and careerists as well he thought they were all careerists yeah every last one of them he gave donnelly a hard time didn't he ah yeah but donnelly brought it on himself because donnelly spent years uh basically claiming that fianna fall were the mafia um and then goes and fucking joins them and do you remember the night he joined him when he went to, he appeared on the Vincent Brown show? Yeah, Vincent couldn't even catch his breath at the start of it. And he was like, <laughs> this, he just couldn't wait to get going. <laughs> this is the first time uh, Stephen Donnelly has been on the show with me as as as, as presenter. <laughs> and he forgot to do the text Vin B hashtag thing and everything. And the producer was obviously in his ear. He was nowhere to be going. He just wanted to go with Donnelly. <laughs> it was fucking class. Class. Uh, there's, Danny, Danny, you went to. Are you going to Bruce Springsteen? The tickets are going on sale on Monday. Are you I, going again? I, I'm very hopeful that I'll get tickets, Paul, to at least one of the shows. I'd love to do more than one. I said to Mero after the the last round that I had a dreadful feeling as I left that it might be the last time we see him. So I'm I'm absolutely thrilled that I'm wrong, and I'll I'll, I'll be. Yeah. How come he's coming back so soon, Danny? I I don't have the answer for that, Graham, but I'm just very grateful that he is. Mental, isn't it? Just that be, I think they I think that's kind of the way they all do stuff now. Like they they do a world tour and then they circle back and, mm. and do all the places where the, the shows were sold out where they they think they can sell again. 
Um, I was a bit disappointed, Danny, by the show this year. Right. Oh. oh. Yeah, I was a bit. Because like, you see that that album, Letter to You, there was about there was about seven songs on that. I just kept yeah. thinking, I want to hear the, the big stadium yeah. treatment of that song. And it ended up being... It ended up being a kind of greatest hits concert. More, I don't want to hear, but born in the USA again, like you know, give yeah. me, you know, ghosts or you know, if I was the priest, uh, you know, yeah. that's that's a house with thousand guitars. I really wanted house with thousand guitars. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. Rainmaker. You can play Rainmaker. Rainmaker. And Rainmaker is made for a big stadium, yeah. like you know, yeah, and big time. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what happened. I don't. I, but I hope maybe he'll do them on the on the way back. Yeah, I'm hoping that we'll get it's it's the first time I went to see him two of the three Dublin shows. And there were there were variants in the set list, but it's the first time that I've gone to Springsteen more than once on the same tour where I felt I was getting the same show. And Meryl, right. I think I think when we were talking, I said it that it felt like I mean Springsteen's mid-70s. He's not a young man, but you always felt he had this presence and energy, and that was Decades younger than he was, but this was the first time I remember <clears throat> on one of the nights he stopped to put on a jacket and he like he looked cold. He looked tired. And I was like, Jesus, fa- father time waits for now and it's like it, it's catching Bruce. And I th- that kind of stayed with me. And then like you were saying as well, I would have loved to have heard more from Letter to You. Like, like it's one of his best albums in fucking years. I just felt like you you left a bit out there. You could have that. I I didn't need to hear. Maybe that's the, why he's coming back. I, I hope so. I didn't need to hear the fifteen minute version of Kitty's back. I didn't need to hear it's Paul's born the USA. Like you know, I would have loved to hear a little bit more. We only got one song off the the. Uh, it's only one, wasn't there? Yeah. Yeah, night shift. Yeah, which is grand. I wasn't overly enamoured with that album. The I can't even remember what it's called now. To be honest, only strong survive. Mm. It was grand, you know, but um. Letter to You is a smashing, smashing album. I would love more of it. Could just not reach out to him and see what the criteria is for this tour? I could, I could, I I I've had contact with him in the past, um, Gary. Uh, you could get on to CDB to maybe touch base with him, Paul. Yeah, that could, that, or I could use my own. I have a, I have a CDB being Christopherg, uh, a dear of friend. Course, yeah. Um, but I, I could also, I have a, a phone number for his, um, I have a phone number for his, uh, hang on, his, his lawyer, his personal lawyer, right? right? From when I used some lines from a Springsteen song in one of my books, I had to get permission to to use them, right? Was it, was it long time coming? Long time coming, yeah. I remember, and, when, I remember when I opened the book and I read it, Paul, and uh, I instantly went, I love this book and I don't even need to read chapter one. Uh, so anyway, I, I used this line, it was about, about eight lines or something, and I had to ring up. I rang the record company and they said, oh, yeah, no, just get on to his uh, his attorney. He owns all the licensing for all the songs. So just get on to his personal attorney. Here's the number. And I rang this woman and she's very nice, like really nice woman, actually. And so she says to me, um, yeah, yeah, that's no problem. How many lines? I said, it's about eight lines. And what's the print run? I think they're doing 60,000 copies. OK, that'll be um, uh, $200, right? <laughs> I went, what? I thought she was going to say like <laughs> 10 grand or something like 200. I said, okay. And uh, she said, um, I said, who, how do I, who do I wire the money to? Oh no, don't wire the money. She said, uh, send us a, 
a, a, U, a draft in US dollars, right? I said, okay, who do I make it payable to? She says, uh, Bruce Springsteen. I said, I make it payable to Bruce Springsteen. And she said, yes, Bruce Springsteen. So, uh, so anyway, I had to go across to the Ulster Bank on Baggett Street, right? That was, is fucking hilarious. It was fucking lunchtime, right? And the bank is packed. You love going to banks, don't you, Paul? I'm I get in ter- I'm uh, look, I get in terrible trouble. Like just pa- banks and post offices just <laughs> they're flashpoints for me. Then me, me, me blood gets boiling, like you know. But anyway, I'm standing in the queue and I'm looking behind. There's about fucking 20 people behind me in the, the lunchtime bank queue. And I have to go up, and it was the days there was still glass. There was a like an inch of bulletproof glass between me and the teller. And uh, anyway, so I said, "Can I get a draft, please?" Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, in dollars, yeah. How much is it for? Uh, Two hundred dollars, yeah. Okay. And who's it made payable to? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> I just go, uh, Bruce Springsteen. Sorry, Bruce Springsteen. Sorry, no, so I can't hear you. So I go. Bruce Springsteen, right? And all of a sudden, I just hear this ripple of laughter right the way through the bank. <laughs> <laughs> he said, Bruce Springsteen, he's getting 200 quid for Bruce Springsteen. So your man, the teller, turned to me and he just went, the price, absolutely priceless. He just said, uh, oh, Bruce Springsteen. And he went, obviously not the Bruce Springsteen. And I went, actually, yes. <laughs> so anyway, a few months later, Springsteen was in Dublin and me and Mary were walking by the Marion Hotel one night and he was in, he was coming out. He was coming down the steps, coming down like the, and there's like maybe 60 or 70 fans like there, you know, and I just went, Bruce, did you get that? <laughs> no, no idea. That check. It's uh, <laughs> definitely see if you your contact in Paul can shed some light and then uh yeah. Uh, I'll send him another 200 quid and I'll just say brilliant. could you see your way clear to just playing just playing some of the, the new stuff, yeah, you know? Yeah, see, yeah. I blame Culchies, Danny, right? And I don't uh, listen. listen. I see, you know, I and I and, and I'm saying that as, as somebody who who like Gary is, is, is it lives very happily in Wicklow, you know, but, and I know you live outside Dublin as well, but yeah. the problem is mostly people from Tipperary who go to Bruce Springsteen <laughs> concerts and complain that they want to hear all the stuff off Born in the USA, you know, just fucking stay home and listen to Born in the USA. Right. Like, you know, just. Yeah. If, if, if I see a pair of boot cut jeans, I know that person is not the person who should be at a gig. That, yeah. that boot cut jeans and brown shoes instantly, I'm like, yeah, you're you're a greatest hits person. Yeah, just, and girls with pink stetsons, girls with pink yes. stetsons are always uh, <laughs> uh, girls, first and foremost, yeah. Garth Brooks fans, and then they're only day trippers to Bruce Springsteen. Like, I'll, I'll, I, Nils Lofgren follows me on Twitter. I might drop my message and be like, Nils, listen, mate, I hope you're keeping well. Regards to Amy, your lovely wife. Come here. Can you see? Can you see fit to work a few of the new ones into the set list? Who the fuck no. is he when he's at home? Go easy, Gary, will you please? The man. No, I, I don't know who he is. Who is he? He's the the guitarist in the East Street Band. Oh, apologies. Okay. The originals, yeah. yeah. How does he follow you, Danny? What? Did, how? How did that happen? I a number of years ago, I was listening to Bruce Springsteen and the East Street Band live in New York City, and there's a brilliant, brilliant version of Youngstown on that particular album, and. I never, and I listened to it and I said, you know what? I'm going to fucking watch that because the solo from Niels Lofgren is just... I watched it and I just thought, you know what? I'm going to tweet him with approval. That's fucking amazing. Because I must have watched it about five or six times in a row, just loving every second of it. 
So I did. And then he sent a message back saying, thanks very much. Appreciate the kind words. And then he followed me. Wow. Um, oh, yeah, that make your day. I don't know on a Graham. I don't know on a. It allows me in conversations like this to say a member of the East Street Band follows little old me. Barrow, who's the most famous person follows you on Twitter? You. <laughs> I know Chuck that. D. Chuck D from the Public Enemy. Okay, thanks, lads. <laughs> Christy Moore, I'm only joking. Christy Moore. Christy Moore. Yeah. Chuck D does follow me from the public enemy though. Yeah. But he but Chuck mm. D wouldn't look after his own email account or internet account, would he? Ah, stop ruining the buzz here, will you? Jesus. Gary, what about you? Who's the most famous person follows you? Um Miguel Delaney. No. Gloria Honeyford. No. Yeah, no. me too. Well, I'm trying to think of verified accounts, but not all famous people are verified now. Louis um, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Well, no, he does. That's a big one. That's Good. a big one. Alcohol follows you. Yep. Is that, yeah, is that explaining the, the, the look? Well, this was for Eric Ten Hag, but I think I'm going to have to change it to Roberto <laughs> Deserbi. Actually, yeah, yeah, Gary, there is a similarity. If you if you were to throw on a polar neck now, like your Halloween costume would have been complete. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, there is similarities. Uh, I don't know. The most famous person. I don't know. I love the one. I love on Twitter if you if you go at somebody, not go at somebody, but if you interact with somebody who's famous and you get a, a bite straight away. Like I went at Mitch Winehouse one evening and uh, <laughs> there was a bit of to and fro and he blocked me, but it was fucking great. It was like scoring a goal in the FA Cup final. <laughs> like, you, you know, you, you get what it? you want. You don't like Mitch Winehouse, don't you? Know? I fucking hate him. He is a feral cunt. If there ever was one, and and I told him as such. Um, in fact, I only had a discussion with friends over the weekend about him. And you know, throwing Amy onto a plane to go and do a gig in Serbia when she was on death's door, um, and then she wasn't uh, cold in her grave, and he's bringing out a fucking jazz album. Like he's just he's, he's you just told him that, did you? Oh, I did. Oh, I did. Um, in no uncertain terms. I don't. Do you know what this Amy Winehouse we're talking about, right? Mm. Yeah. Like, I, uh, I now just, just be, just be careful. Gary didn't. Gary took the Amy Winehouse death like he took the Stephen Gately death. Not but very well. Not well. Right. Well, no. What I was going to say so was, just be careful. I, I remember at the time around sort of whatever it was, two thousand seven, two thousand eight, was it? No, maybe even earlier. Was it when she was big? Yeah, big two thousand eight. Yeah. Black and black was red. Yeah, and I remember thinking she was. She was brilliant, right? But then I heard Back in Black for the first time about first time in ages about a year ago. And like not only has it stood like she sounds even better now, like, doesn't she? Like that music, yeah. she was such a one-off, like, you know. There's yeah. nobody sounds like her. Absolutely nobody sounds like her. She's not her. just incredible. What a loss, though, you know? Yeah, she yeah. was she was unnaturally talented. Yeah, um, yeah, one a one in a million voice, uh, and, per, and performer, but look and writer as well, Gary. Oh, like, well, listen, the stuff whole stuff. The, yeah. the whole package, but uh, unfortunately, had a taste for the the Harry Kane and the the other stuff. And that's a that's kind of a feat, you know, when you think of people like Billy Holiday and everything, like you know, you can't separate the tragic life 
from the tragic songs. You know, it's almost mm. like she was singing her life. She didn't need to play a part when she was writing those songs. She was they were autobiographical. And yeah, yeah. Because the tragedy in them and she she, you know, she lived that sadness and, you know, that torment and everything, you know, and if she wasn't tormented, you know, she the songs would have just sounded like Adele or something. Yeah, but I mean, in the height of her fame and her success, multi-platinum award-winning artist, and she's wandering around Soho at six in the morning off her biscuit, doesn't know where she is. Yeah. Um, that's fucking, that's just heartbreaking. It's terrible. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. It's you know, particularly at a time when paparazzi were at their, probably at their worst. Mm. Um, Feral. It'd break her heart, and of course, her, her father just behaving like a greedy fucking pig um, yeah. re- really got to me. Um, yeah. but but sure, look at as they say. And, 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 I, I, I mentioned to you a week or two ago that I was uh, I, I'm, I'm gonna be making at least me, me singing debut myself now, uh, over New Year. And I was wondering, were, were you thinking of heading down yourself to Fitzgerald's in Avoca for the Stars in Your Eyes? Um, well, look, I mean, I won't rule it out if you're if you're if you're gonna give it a go, sure, we we might as well. Yeah, I might. I'm, t- I'm, I'm like, I'm seriously thinking about. It. I nearly did it. I nearly did it twice before. I had to pull out one year because I was sick, and I had to pull out another year because um, uh, I think I was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> this New Year's Eve, Paul, is it? But, yeah, I think it might be the day before New Year's Eve. It's in that period between Christmas and New Year where you never know what day it'll be. No man's right? land. Yeah. yeah. And um, but they have a stars in your eyes in uh, in in Fitzgerald's, and I, I was in the pub. I was having me lunch there about four or five years ago, and this fella come up to me. I was looking at the poster and this fella came up to me and said, uh, are you thinking of entering? And uh, I said, <laughs> I love the accent. Are you thinking of entering? I said, I, I am actually. Yeah. He said, who would you do? And I said, I don't know. Like, I might, uh, maybe, maybe Roy Orbison. He said, you won't win. I said, why not? He said, same fella wins it every year. And I, said, <laughs> uh, I said, who does he do? And he says to me, Elvis, everybody does Elvis. <laughs> I just love that. Like it's kind of stars in your eyes, but it's really just an Elvis lookalike and singing. Yeah, like, Elvis tribute. Oh, it's like that episode that? of Father Ted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it was a bit Father Ted, all right. Yeah. Do, who, you so would you would you would you go in as Roy Orbison then? Oh yeah, but I sh- that'd really shake it up though, wouldn't it? Like if everybody's doing Elvis, <laughs> and I just suddenly arrive with the big black glasses and everything and the black wig and all, you know. Um, but yeah, I'll pro- probably do. She's a mystery to me, or something like that. That'd be yeah. lovely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'd probably do. Maybe, um, yeah. fine, young, fine young cannibals. I'm really good at singing. Um, oh yeah. yeah. Or uh, I, I just to create drama, I could go with Sam Smith and all the gear. You could. Yeah. In all the gear. <laughs> all the tassels and nipple tassels and all that crack. Yeah. You sing his song brilliantly. What is it? What's that song again? Well, I can sing any of them because I, I I can hit really high notes. You can. What's yeah. What's the one the famous one though? You that you sang. The I'm, not the, I'm not. I'm not the only one. I right, you wouldn't give us a bar of that now, would you? I can't, unfortunately, at the moment. I'd have to have a lemsip first. <laughs> yeah. The lemsip, the lemsip allows you to hit the higher notes, does it? It settles me, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would you not? Would it's you do Stephen Gately? Well, I I like Steve was part of a a group. Yeah, but his, his he, single he song was brilliant. Pardon? The single that he brought out was brilliant. Listen, a fantastic person, missed every day. 
Meryl, what was it? What Meryl was it about Gailey that um, his death that you took so rough? Well, his husband was a cunt, and it was known for years. Um, right. and he, I suppose, much like Mitch Winehouse and his daughter, just uh, soaked and drained every crevice of the man until he destroyed him in the end. Pardon? Did you know him? I did, Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what I, what I would say on the record is Gerald Kane was very good to him in his latter years and uh, and to the family after his death. Yeah. yeah. Anytime you mention Gerald Kane, I got a shiver down my spine because usual results in us getting papers. So I'm going to move along, Gary. That's all right. <laughs> Gero, if you were doing the stars in your eyes with Gary and Paul down on Wicklow, who, who would you do? Oh God, I don't know. Or um, if, you, if you had a karaoke, so we'll we'll simplify it for you there. What would you? Christy, you'd do Christy, wouldn't you? No, I wouldn't do Christy karaoke. No, I'd probably do Kings of Leon or something. Yeah, it wouldn't sex. get away with Kings of Leon, Meryl. So just stop. I would. If you I'm, if you I'm, sang sex on Twitter, I'm going to take as a warning. Not an evoker. No, I do. Meryl, sex you'd be on better fire. off doing fucking Richie Kavanagh or something. <laughs> Seriously, an evoker <laughs> like. You could, you wouldn't get away with. You couldn't bring the king. Imagine singing your sex is on fire in Fitzgerald's, Gary. Like it just. Nah, no, it wouldn't work, Meryl. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't work. It it's the wrong audience. Like Neil Diamond is considered modern music down there. Like you know, yeah. Whitney Houston. I, I will always love you. Was still number one up there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought that pub closed uh, during COVID. Paul didn't open back up. No. Oh no, it's open again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is it? Yeah. 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 Okay, Paul. Have you any tattoos? No, I've no. I, I don't have any tattoos. No, no. Did you ever consider them? Um, I don't. No, I I didn't really like. You know, I didn't. I I never did. Um, I don't. I don't mind them. Like I love. I, I see. If I was gonna do it, I'd want the full. I want the sleeves, like the Max Cady from Cape Fear look. Like that's what I'd want. I want the full arms and all the rest. Like I kind of do think if you're gonna do it go for it like you know but i'm too old now like a 52 year old man getting getting tattoos is just there's something i might as well get a ponytail and and, and a, a 19 year old girlfriend like it's pathetic <laughs> and a motorbike it's just pathetic like Ray uh, clark used to have a ponytail paul did he yeah so he i tell you i saw he, i was in the car with him there a few weeks ago he said it's a long time since his ponytail days, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're gone, Mero. They're never coming back, are they? No, He's a great guy, Mero. He's a fantastic guy, your uncle. I know he is, yeah. Legend. If I was going to get anything, though, I, and, and I wouldn't rule this out, right? I'd get the, the Liverpool Football Club crest on my back. On your back? <laughs> on your full Mary back. wouldn't allow that. What? Mary wouldn't allow that. No. No, would you, no, she would. I mean, look, I mean, if I said to Mary, I'm just popping into town to get the Liverpool crest on the back, I think she'd probably get me sectioned, like you know. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think, I don't think Mary would be happy with that at all, you know. Not because she's acting against Liverpool, it's just that I don't think she'd, um, she'd want my whole back to be just tattooed like that. Danny, you got a tattoo today? Well, well more than one, but yeah, you got more than one. Well, yeah, a bit to Paul's point there. Like, if you're going to do it, do you know what I mean? You might as well. So, yeah. Danny, what did you get? Danny, what, allowed what to you talk get? about it or is there an unveiling or anything? Well, no, well, it's, it's wrapped up at the moment because, like, it's it's fresh and you have to wrap them. So, I mean, like, it's not, yeah. you know what I mean? But, like, I've, I've got a few. Like, it's, this this isn't a new gig to me, lads. You know what I mean? Um, it's news not... to me. I never knew you had them. 
That is, yeah, sure. Oh, well. Of course you oh, no. oh, I see, that's what I'd want. Yeah. What is it, Danny? Uh, there's a few there now that are a bit, you know, one of them I just got because I like them. Ted, there's a conversation piece in one of them, lads. There's, hang on, I can see it there. There's me Neil Diamond. See? Oh, Diamond on its knees. You got a Neil Diamond tattoo? I've had that for, that, that one's there a little while now. Seen uh, that one before on your yeah. Instagram, I think. And um, what's brought all this on, Danny? Just, I just like tattoos. Gary, nothing. You know. Yeah. It's not. Everything's okay, like. Yeah, are you? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm all right. You know, it's not a... Um... life crisis. What did you call them earlier on, Gary? <laughs> <laughs> Compared oh, no. me to, uh, to, to somebody's child. Justin, for the viewers, right? So we were an hour late meeting up because Danny had some shit on. So mm-hmm. there was a bit of to and fro. Um, <laughs> Liverpool, United lost 3-0. Sorry, Gary. Go ahead. Thanks for your update, Paul. Fucking Paul Goldbridge. Um, <laughs> <laughs> tattoos. You're losing the run of yourself. You're like Romeo Beckham swanning around the place. <laughs> Romeo Beckham. He's a, yeah. he's a handsome boy. He's a handsome boy. He is. Um, <laughs> is everything all right at home? <laughs> <laughs> are you getting any? Are you finished now, Danny? Or are you still going through the midlife crisis? Oh, no. There'll be a few more. And I resent that, lads. I'm only 36. I haven't hit midlife yet. Oh, that's true, Daniel. Did forget you're only mid 30s? You'd be buying a Hardy Anybody ever tell you that life begins at, at 50, right? If somebody will say that to you, inevitably, one day in the next 14 or 15 years, it's not true. It's <laughs> fucked, right? You're <laughs> having a hard time, Paul. Ah, listen. I mean, I like I buy I buy kitchen rolls in ones now. <laughs> seriously i was in hospital last week I, I went in to get a hernia operation right and um anyway i get put on i'm under the anesthetic like you know and i, I wake up uh and and the, the the consultant is in the room with me and i just see this face on him and he just says uh yeah it didn't exactly go to plan and I just look at, I'm looking for Mary to see, is she crying like, you know? But <laughs> <laughs> Mary's here at the same time as me. Anyway, they were supposed to fix my hernia, but I, I had this thing called Meckel's diverticulum, right? And Meckel's diverticulum is, this is disgusting. This, this is, my stomach turned when when he explained what it was, right? It's basically a little bit of your umbilical cord doesn't disengage, right? And it stays in your colon, right? Or in your intestine, but it keeps growing. Like, is what? that the most John Hurt from Alien shit you've ever yeah. heard in your life? It keeps yeah. growing. That's been there for 52 years. Yeah, 53 this year. And anyway, it was like, he said it was as big as your index finger. And it was... It was poking into me bowel, right? Jeez. So they had to they had to take it out. So anyway, I've ended up right with seven. I've got seven stab wounds all over me, right? My side, my stomach. They they did it with them. Uh, did they did a really clean job actually with um, keyhole surgery, oh, you know? Yeah. But I've all the pain of the hernia operation and none of the benefits of it. So I've got this hernia, right, and it's right in the middle of me uh, six pack. What I would generously call my six pack, right? And Gary's Gary's heard the stories about me. 
<laughs> in the bay gym in, in our club throwing the weights around you know just like <laughs> absolutely smashing it session after session uh but the thing is right i had you could actually you could see this lump through my t-shirt right like and, and i'm not i don't really have much of a, a six-pack anyway but this big lump the size of my fist sticking out from my t-shirt was absolutely vile you know so anyway your man who did the operation he, he did a great job like because he sewed it up, he pushed it in and pushed it. He said, I pushed everything down and, and he just sewed it up. Now, I don't know if it'll hold, but that's what I'm into now, lads. Like, you know, 52 years of age. I'm like a fucking a car. <laughs> just, just doing running repairs on a vintage car to try to keep it roadworthy. So life doesn't start at 50, the operation starts. Yeah, it's a, it's a nightmare. And and I'm on um, what they call, the insurance companies call it Sniper Alley, right? That basically everything that everything that could potentially kill you or like is basically you're going to get it between the ages of 50 and i think it's 45 and 55 uh everything it's the danger zone for everything and they say if you can get out of sniper alley so if you hit 55 and you're not dead then you've got a pretty decent chance of leading a longer life you know are, are they going back for the hernia paul i don't know they said i'm all hernia that's the problem like he said he was pointing to bits of my body where I didn't even think it was possible to have a hernia. Show me where. And he said they'd need to put a bit of mesh into me so big that it would be dangerous to put that amount of mesh into a body. Like, you know, so I'm just mm -hmm. part like, you know, and um, but I met a couple of mates of mine from, from Ballybrack yesterday, two old schoolmates of mine. And we just spent the whole time like three, like three outlads just talking about all the things that were wrong with us. Like, you know, yeah. and it happened. And, and then we just said, do you remember it's like five years ago we we were at our twenty first, so just enjoy it, lads. I mean, it's hard to bring you down. No, just... it's, it's all right. <laughs> and no, how's the how's the recovery going, Paul? It's I'm very sore on my left side. Right, he said yeah. he had to put a big implement in there because they were I think they were they were stapling me bowel close yeah. like that. But he said he said they'd sup they now it does feel like you know there might be a stapler still in there like it's kind of lumpy and he's very left the tools behind it. Potentially. Um, what? Sorry, say it again, Danny. He's left some tools behind, potentially. Well, I mean, I could. Believe, I mean, he, he very professional, brilliant job, yeah. very clean. You know, very mm -hmm. clean. did a brilliant job. I'm not too badly cut up. Yeah, I'm a mess. Like you know, my gastrointestinal system is just like a war zone. It's uh, all the rich food you eat. No, this is this is basically since birth. I have a scar right from. The, my sternum right the way down below me belly button right slash right down there right really impressive looking thing and um that was from a hiatus hernia operation i had about 25 years ago to fix it in st michael's hospital in dunleary yeah. and um anyway it was agony right this this is sore now that one was agony because i was slapped i was sliced open they tried to do it by by keyhole and they couldn't so they just cut me open i remember i was lying there in the bed right it was it was the summer of 1999 and uh wimbledon was on the telly it was in the ward and there was now lad in the bed uh, to me left and an now lad in the bed to me right separate beds right but three beds <laughs> right anyway wimbledon was on the telly and it was rained off right so they put on an old match an old McEnroe borg match from the 70s and your man on me right just went jesus is that john McEnroe still playing and <laughs> i'm like jesus he must be and your man says look at borg jesus he looks great doesn't he, he has an age to be <laughs> and i was laughing right 
and I couldn't stop. And I burst me stitches open, right? I laughed <laughs> so much. I burst open and all this blood was seeping through me bandages and everything. Oh, it was horrendous, like, you know, but <laughs> it's not to do with rich food. It's just to do with, like, bad genetic, bad genes, you know, weak <laughs> genes. I used to love that in Wimbledon when a game was rained off and they'd show footages from the archives. I used to love it. Or yeah. they'd, they'd get Cliff Richard down from the seats yeah. singing a few tunes. <laughs> or CDB. CTB, yeah. CDB, yeah. yeah. Cliff's a paedophile now, is he? Is that the latest on him? No, Gary, no. Oh, for, he was cleared. A, a, absolutely not. Ah, he was he cleared. Of course he was. Yeah. Gerald, if you're listening, calm down. Stop, put the pen down. You don't need to write a letter. We're not saying... Yeah, apologies. Human. I went very queuing on there for a second. Yeah. I was just showing up. <laughs> queuing on. <laughs> have you any oper- have had any operations, Gary? No, you fine uh, Well, look, I feel fine. Obviously, I've had a couple of episodes over the last few years where I fainted and stuff. Um, generally around December, January, but I don't be drinking. I don't drink enough water, so it's something that I've tried to bring into my uh, being. And I and I have been doing it. And actually, uh, I was told if you put some Himalayan pink salt into your water and drink it, it replenishes a lot of the minerals in your system that might be gone. So it's working for me so far. But no, I've never had operations or anything like that, thank God. Very good. Very good. Remember you took the tour on Christmas Day? Oh, stop. Yeah, disaster. I was very unsettled, wasn't I? Yeah, you were very upset. Gary sent me a selfie in the back of an ambulance on Christmas Day two years ago. Christmas morning, yeah. Christmas morning, six yeah. o'clock in the morning, I was woken up to one of my best friends in the back of an ambulance, and I thought he was <laughs> taking the piss. Very, uh, I was, was going to say, I should be laughing. This could be this could be a serious episode, was it? Well, no, his son just walked over him to play the Xbox. He didn't give a shit. I the charity just stepped over me. I was on the ground, torn grey, with my tongue hanging out. The kids stepped over me to get to their shit. But um, no, basically, I. Uh, <laughs> I fainted on Christmas morning. Um, got tests and all done, and and blood's ECG come back fine. But basically, what the doctor said was, so I like they're wired here for Christmas, like wired. Mm. It's madness. It's it's. Verges you hate parenting, on. is it, Gary? Yeah, it it verges on, I don't know, Asperger's with them or something. <laughs> but um, fucking, I um. Yeah, the doctor said, so when I was woken, I was in his sleep and I was woken up really quickly, you know, to get up for all the carry on. Um, it's the equivalent of waking up in the middle of the night and your alarm going off. You're, you stand up and you function, but your brain isn't ready for what your body is. So I just clattered and hit the ground. Um, and I ended up in NACE General Hospital. Um, they thought I was just up all night on cocaine and drink. I knew by the way they were talking to me. Um, what way were they talking to you? Uh, what drugs did you take? I said I didn't take any drugs. I three cans of Guinness, and I didn't even have any Jaeger, for the record. And that was three cans of Guinness <laughs> over around four hours. Um, I said, "You look at my pupils. I'm fucking fine." But anyway, when all the tests come back, they were like. I did, didn't even test me for COVID. This was Christmas 2021, I think. Oh, this is recent, right? Okay. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but now, after after they sent me off, everything was fine. Um, Gemma was very worried about me, and so much so that she watched me having a shower 
which I found quite erratic. <laughs> that was the one benefit of collapsing on Christmas I've, morning. I, I've been watching the shower following a medical incident also. Um, oh. It, and it, it was... It wasn't Father Mitchell, Danny, was it? It, it wasn't <laughs> Father Mitchell, no. Um, I once fractured my skull on a bouncy castle and had to spend some time oh, in hospital right. as a result. And uh, how the fuck did you manage that? Did you come off the castle? I did, yeah, spectacularly. <laughs> but, um, rock bottom off it. Yeah, and um, it, it was in Newry, and I, I I spent a couple of days in Daisy Hill Hospital uh, with with a, a fractured skull and, and concussion. And after a couple of days, when I had a good sense of what was going on, I could also smell myself. So I requested that I could, you know, have a wash. And they were like, "Yeah, but due to the nature of your injury." A nurse will have to supervise. Oh, well. I was like, well, they now. <laughs> <laughs> got, got me hopes up. And all I can say is, uh, that's all that got up because the nurse that supervised me was... Male I mean, nurse, was it, Danny? It, it wasn't, Paul, no. It was... Sister uh, Sue, was it? I would have Kevin from Monread. <laughs> I preferred that. I, this nurse was extremely close to retirement. Had... Seen it all, done it all, and had no time for my bullshit. And all I'll right. never forget, as she sat in the chair, fucking, like, I mean, a Reader's Digest she was fucking reading. An old school little Reader's Digest magazine. And I'd say, the water had only hit me flute. And she was like, are you done? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and did you wash the captain or anything like that, or was it just a quick... Hurriedly, Gary. Hurriedly. Yeah. yeah. So, did you rinse it or just... To, to be honest, I don't. I think I soaked it up and I just put the jocks on. I was like, I'm done now. I'm very sorry for taking your time. <laughs> I remember I was, ga- I was going in for the laser therapy and Danny says to me before it. Uh, Thought we were getting lasered your eyes or something, was it? No, I had kidney stones. You know this. Oh, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Um, Gary's, or Danny, <laughs> Danny was saying to me, uh, watch out and see if you get a free pubic trim. That's right. <laughs> I was like, what? And then he goes, but then he was got his knee done. He goes, and I woke up and had a pubic trim. I was like, for fuck's sake. And so <laughs> I was in the recovery ward uh, off my absolute face on whatever they give you. And I woke up and the nurse is putting the stuff in my mouth. And I was like, uh, did, I get, did I get me free pubic trim? And the nurse is like, <laughs> the nurse is like, sorry. And I says, I'm just, did I, did I get me free pubic trim? And then she was, uh, she was an international nurse and she couldn't really understand me. And then an Irish male nurse came over and uh, he says, yes, Graham, you got your free pubic trim now. Are you OK? I was like, yeah, I'm grand. And then you could feel the drugs wearing off and you just realize what you said and you just the mortification. And did you get it? No, he didn't. No, no, it was laser therapy. Like it was. It was not incision or anything like that. Hmm. It was just know, in me. Think with, it was in my head. In it, it, they might look after you. They took a graft. <laughs> it was they just Danny a, had it in my head. They took a graft from my pelvic area for my knee surgery, and that's why I required a pubic trim. But I just like telling people when they're going in for any operation, she's careful now. You might come out with less pubes you do with. Oh, tell that, that, that was a. Uh, those recovery ward moments are absolutely hilarious though. I remember one year as well, I asked, was uh was was me horse Shergar outside? And they were like, What? 
<laughs> I was like, I'm going to a lecture picnic next month and I just want to make sure my horse is outside. Jesus They're like, yeah, Christ. of course, of course the horse is outside. It'll be there for you when you're when you're recovered. I'd say they see a, I'd say they see an awful lot of shy. Ah, oh, jeez. They put up, they put literally, up. Literally, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever see the YouTube clips of the lads coming out of the dentist and all? I'm seeing a few of them. Yeah. Seeing a few Hilarious. I'd be saying, I, I had an operation a few years ago and the anesthetist says to me, uh, okay, I'm going to count you down from 10 now. And he went 10, 9, 8. And then he went, and it is gender reassignment you're in for, right? <laughs> and then I was out, right? And then I was out. And that was the last thing I remembered was him saying that. And I just thought, that's a pretty racy thing to say at this <laughs> age, isn't it? Like, you know, given <laughs> cancel culture and everything. But anyway, when I woke up, I, I did the audit. The first thing I did, the hands went and I just checked, you know, checked I was leaving with what I came in with, you know. Um, and I said, Did you remember the, when you woke up? Oh, the first thing I remembered, Meryl, like the first thing I remembered, and I said it to the nurse and she went, oh, he does that to everyone, he's a bollocks. That's a great, that's a great <laughs> I, I, I like that. I do, I, I like a bit of sense of humor with those kind of things, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. The anesthetist lads are quite funny, like. Mm. Yeah. Because they have you by the balls. Your, your, your <laughs> destiny is in their hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think Ten Hag might be in the spot of trouble this evening, lads. You see, even if it's even Dallo and Casemiro at half time. He took off Casemiro and, and Dallo. That's, um, so there's two more players he's alienated immediately. He's, you know? he, he's going to lose the dressing room if he hasn't. I think that's already Danny, yeah. to be I think honest. He's just taken off if he's if he's humiliating. He's already humiliated Sancho. Now he's doing the same to a senior pro like Casemiro, taking him off for making a mistake and Dallo for not tracking back. Well, Ca- Casemiro was booked in the first half, so Ten Hag has a habit of if, if a player has been booked in the first half, they don't come out for right. the second half. Yeah, but I mean, even at that, Casemiro, you kind of need to leave him on. But yeah. I why do you think he's think Casemiro's a, a classic are player who always who knows how to play on one yellow card. Absolutely. He's done it his whole career. Like yeah, yeah, he gets absolutely. Booked, yeah. He gets booked 30 times a season. He's he knows how to play on a yellow card. Like, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Meryl. Uh, I was just saying, Gary, what makes what, what makes you think he's in trouble with a league I, cup? I, I just think like media over the weekend, as we said earlier, they're bitching about everything. Um at three 0 at home to, to like Newcastle didn't have a centre half on the pitch this evening. They had yeah. five full backs on. Yeah, they're you not know. hardly going to sack him, are they? I, but look, I, I don't know, but I just think he's. I'm just looking at the price in here. It's after shifting big time. Like, yeah. like look, we he's, all know United had sixty two percent of possession as well. That's unbelievable. Jeez, to, to lose three 0 with sixty two percent of possession, yeah, that's, that's, that's lot, that, Like, look, we we all know the problems of Manchester United Football Club go far deeper than just the manager. But unfortunately, you know, that's where it falls. That that is where it falls. And when the manager is, you know, picking the team and the team isn't performing and wanting, like a lot of those players need to be fucked out faster than he does. He bought a lot of them, Danny. You know, he, he did absolutely, and they weren't. They're, they're not to the that, and... that you need if you want to win trophies. You know. Yeah, Tyrrell Malassia, Anthony, eighteen million for Anthony, like you know, Anthony's brutal. Um, but he knew that, like he, you know, that was a panic buy. Like Liverpool, you know, beat them five nil, whatever, and he buys Casemiro and Anthony immediately. Wasn't that what happened? But they they lost to Brighton and Brentford. Lost to Brighton, oh, yeah. Brighton and Brentford. That's what it was. Yeah. And uh, well, I, I don't think uh, Ten Hag even wanted Casemiro because they spent the summer chasing De Jong. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he obviously said to the, the football department, I need a whole midfielder. They thought, yeah. you know what? We'll get Casemiro for 70 million. Um, I think that's sent that you a postcard from London last week. Did you get it? Sorry? I sent you a postcard from London last week. Sent me a postcard? Yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I didn't get it. Didn't you? No. That's, that's unusual now. Very unusual. Yeah, Royal Mail are usually very reliable. Yeah, I sent a picture. I sent you a postcard to the Queen. No, you didn't. I did. Yeah, yeah. I, did. I can't believe you didn't get it. Is, is your is your postman a Republican? <laughs> <laughs> Lovely one it was. R.I.P. <laughs> is he? No, I got posts on all today. I didn't get any postcards. Like, this is two weeks ago I sent it. No, I still haven't got it. That's unbelievable. Anyway, I'd, I'd say I'd say he did get a paw, but he knows that he has people who listen. If you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, lads, we're, we're we're you know we could sit here and talk all night, but that wouldn't be fair to us. But before we go, I want to I want to just pick your brains a little bit on AI, lads, and how we AI is is playing a big part in us getting some new Beatles music. What are your thoughts on this now? Paul, you go for sure the Beatles fan. Well, leave it alone. That's my that's that's my thought. You know, it's like when John Lennon said when people used to cry about, you know, are the Beatles gonna get back together? He'd just say, Look, if you like the Beatles, go and listen to the albums, go and listen to the old albums. It's there, you know. I don't think we need we don't need any new stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I I mean I I don't I don't love it, but having said that, I I mean I went to see Roy Or uh, Roy Orbison in concert. Um, a hologram of him on the stage in the the tree arena. It was fucking brilliant. It was, was like, it? well, it was because I thought it would be like when when I heard a hologram, I thought it would be like, help me, Obi Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. That kind of a hologram, kind of greeny, bluey, yeah. or whatever. It wasn't. It was full color. It was free. He played with it. It was with an. It was a full orchestra, and then Roy Orbis in the middle, and it he looked real. It was unbelievable. So I I loved that, but there was a sort of novelty aspect to it. It didn't. It just kind of yeah. like I wouldn't, I wouldn't go and see him again, uh, unless they put him on a double bill with Buddy Holly or something like you know. But <laughs> I just think it's kind of. Um, I just think there's enough great Beatles music there. We don't need any more. And I would say John Lennon would absolutely hate it, and mm. that's good enough for me. Right. Right. Gary, what, what do you think of AI and these kind of influences coming in where, you know, we, we could end up in a situation where we're all going to two-pack gigs and new two-pack music? Not you, can never, they, you, can, yeah, yeah. you can never be ignorant to technology, mm. especially when it's good technology. Like, I'm trying to think of dead artists that I'd like to go and see Yeah, uh, in, in the format that Paul just described. And yeah, yeah. would I go? I probably would. Um, but but Paul, I don't think Paul, we need... We, Paul mentioned Pavarotti earlier and I'd be fascinated to see it. And the hologram would probably need an awful lot of electricity to generate it. He was a big man. But equally, I'd I'd be very keen to see that sort of presence translated into a technological form, you know? That's your prerogative, yeah. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking more along the lines of Amy Winehouse or um, I don't know. I, I suppose Elvis. You'd go and see Elvis, wouldn't you? You'd have to go and see Elvis. Yeah. It'd be all shook up. Yeah. Cool it's, it like it, it's it's mad like you know, we're kind of at the stage now where you're sort of saying you know 
God, I can't wait for Ringo and Paul to die so I can see the Beatles again. <laughs> like, is that what? Is that, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, do, do we do we or, really? I I I don't. As Gary said about technology and all that stuff, but do we need AI? I don't think we do. Right? I just I just don't think we do. The um. There's just there's enough good stuff there generated by humans. Like you know what? There's no genius in AI. It's just no. It's just programming. Like remember it. the article um, the Irish Times published that was AI. No. Sure oh, remember. yeah, I do remember. Yeah, this is the controversy, wasn't it? That it did went through all the check or it didn't go through the checks or something. They published it without it. I can't realize had some compromise there. Like so, you know. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't no, no, was about see the, the the whole thing about that it wasn't even the, the the great thing about that the funny thing the the thing that got everyone i don't think it was the ai aspect of it it was the fact that it it was such a ludicrous argument right that mm. wearing fake tan was was um was was it racist or was cultural it appropriation, appropriation. appropriation. Yeah. Right, you yeah. haven't gone through the struggle that um that black people have gone through so you shouldn't be kind of trying trying to darken your skin unless you've actually been through and 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 actually it was like a sort of made up argument for a laugh you know that's what it's i remember reading it in the paper just thinking i hear you know (laughs) come on um but i don't think we need ai i think it it'll have it has benefits but i'm not sure for uh, like the artistic purposes like that, the, using the specific example of us getting a new Beatles song out of it. I'm kind of with you on that, Paul. I'm kind of like... Leave it alone. I don't be think the same, we need like... it, you know? Like, I'm I'm not... We, we've talked before. I'm not a huge Beatles fan, but I I think I've definitely warmed up to them more in recent years. I watched that Peter Jackson documentary about them making the, the last album, mm. and it was fascinating. And, it, you know, but... Yeah, I don't know. The only thing is, the AI stuff for, say, U2 might be better than their actual original stuff. I'm sure the fuck up, will you? Jesus Christ. <laughs> See, the thing, the thing about the Beatles is, right, even even if you don't even if you don't love the Beatles or listen to their music a lot, y- you have to accept that they changed music, like, twice. Paul McCartney changed the face of music twice. So, it, it's, it's more for their, it's more for their influence than for we don't need another Beatles song because the Beatles aren't going to change the world a third time. Right. So, you know, about 20, 20 something years ago, um, they remastered an old Lennon off cut called free as a bird. Yes. And it went to one. Right. But it, Oh yeah, that's right. I remember that. It I remember it on top of the pops. Yeah. But it wasn't a Beatles song. Right. Because it was, it was something they discarded and that somebody picked up and, you know, uh, you know, like jazzed it up, put instrumentation on it and turned it into a single. And um, but it it wasn't a it wasn't a Beatles song because it was so far after the Beatles. It was like the Beatles influenced music They in the, the early 60s or the mid 60s. And then with Pepper, they completely changed it again. So whatever they bring out 30 years later, it's post Beatles. It's not mm. it's, it's not the Beatles, you know. Um, and I kind of think you could get anyone to write a Beatles style song now. You don't need AI. Like, you know, you could yeah. probably get like somebody like some genius like um, 
uh, Neil Hannon or something could probably turn out a Beatles song in an hour. But the point is, it was at the time when it was new and when nobody had tried that kind of music before, you know, and for for especially McCartney, just to sort of to, to have the confidence to do that in his 20s and say, right, I'm going to dream this all up over again. Like, it's amazing stuff. But AI will never do that. There's no, you know, you could totally, you could, comp- you could, you could program a computer to to write a song similar to Strawberry Fields Forever, but mm. it's not going to be Strawberry Fields Forever in 1966, 67. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So is it safe to say then we, we won't be getting AI and any future Paul Howard projects also? Oh, listen, I mean, if I could, if I could find a program that could write the books better than me <laughs> and quicker than me, the next book would be written by AI, <laughs> you know, completely. I'm too much of a control freak, though, you know, that would, uh, that, I, I don't think I could, I could let it happen, but mm. you never know. You know, if I'm if I'm busy one year, you know, you might read a Ross book and go, Jesus, the, the quality of this is better than any book I've read. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll know then that a robot did it. What projects are coming up, Paul, before we let before we um, say goodbye? I'm working away on um Bad Sisters. Um the sec- we're doing the second series at the moment. Um so um that's uh I'm nearly finished that actually. They're filming it right now, actually. They're filming they've they've already started. I'm writing one of the later episodes in the series and just really enjoy doing that. Um and um I've another Ross book which is due at the end of January. So those are the two things I'm uh I'm working on mostly. I'm hoping something's gonna happen with the Ballybrack project next year as well with the the TV show. So a long process, isn't it, Paul? That it's a funny thing like they mo- most TV is like Bad Sisters has been different because you're dealing with Apple and things just happen a lot quicker but you know most TV shows there's that that TV, I haven't seen it yet but that obituary show on RTE at the moment yeah um, like you pr- you probably find that was about 10 years in the dreaming and the planning as well you know it's just it just takes a lot longer in Ireland anytime I see anything on television on RTE especially you know, I always there's there's always a hat tip involved because you just know how much they've had to go through just to get it made. Never mind yeah. to get something made well, just to get it made. Um, so um yeah, so I hope I hope something will happen on that next year. So and is that's it, it. That's all I'm it, working on at the moment. Is it, is it am I jumping the gun by announcing that this is content podcast with yourself and Gary? The content well, we, we don't want to say it too much at the moment, do we, Gary? Well, we can look. It's obviously it's been coming for a while. Yeah. Um, we're Public just dealing with sponsorship and stuff like that. And um, we have all the equipment bought. And we're going to be buying a log cabin to record it in. Um, Lovely. Lovely. But look, it's probably probably be late next year, Paul. Yeah. And I I don't think I'm 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 saying too much out of school, Gary, by saying it's going to be singing, cooking, um, lighthouse work. Yeah, but it's, it's you know a bit of DIY, bit of DIY, DIY. bit of yeah. bit of gym stuff. Oh yeah, talking um, about about um, sculpting our bodies and stuff like yeah, that. We'll be, also, we'll be offering uh, an online nutrition course as well. Brilliant. Well, and just because I, I know from uh, the WhatsApp group recently that Paul has become a dab hand uh, with eggs. Will, will you have an egg tutorial for us? Because um, I know there's many ways to to crack an egg and indeed cook an egg and. I've just been doing boiled eggs like like an amateur. 
and I think yeah. I need to up my game. Well, we'd ask you just to subscribe and drop a comment in the in the uh, in the live chat, and we can we can look at it. Consider it done. I'll I'll be there. Yeah. Anything else to say there, Paul? On eggs? On eggs? No, no, I mean I love an egg. Um, I I I love two eggs actually. I usually have two. Um, I I, I kind of think a a day without without two boiled eggs is a, is a day without happiness. Um, but recently, when I came out of hospital, my mother-in-law bought me a gift of a um of an egg an egg cooker and Gary was already familiar with uh, the 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 piece of equipment I'm talking about <laughs> fabulous piece a fabulous thing. see I went yeah, out Gary wasn't too pushed on it no see, well I've given I don't know I know Gary didn't give his counter space and I think I think to I think to properly love a kitchen appliance you have to give it permanent counter space even if it's on a temporary basis for maybe 3 months because sometimes I remember we when we were kids, we had an ice cream maker and uh, we, we didn't give it counter space. We just put it in the back of the press. And then eventually, I think we used it twice. And then my dad took the plug off it to put on the Christmas tree. And then we never saw it again. Right. <laughs> and but I think if we if we I think we were scared that people might think we were getting above ourselves because we the only we were the first people in Cranbrook Fields to make our own ice cream. Yeah. Never been done before, never been attempted before, you know. And um, it used to suck all the electricity out of the whole estate. Like every time we turned it on, you had to pack this thing with ice. You put a, a, a there was a little cylinder in the center with cream and milk and sugar and all the rest. And then you packed the outside with ice. Big drum of a thing it was. And then you plugged it in. The lights were dim all over Ashlawn, out Oakton, Cromleck, Ackle Road, Lambay. Lights would just go dim. <laughs> just making ice cream. And um, yeah, like I said, we used it twice. Uh, the electricity was about 400 quid both times and we got about a block of ice cream out of it but I kind of felt if I, I'd love that now you see I would love that now and I would give it counter space but I've given the egg thing counter space it might not be permanent might not be forever mm. but while it is I know I'll use it every day um, I went at it first Gary will probably tell you I, I went at it like a bull at a gate first he, uh, did, he didn't he didn't read the book I didn't read the book. Oh. In fact, that's going to be one of the features I think of our of our podcast as well, Gary. Right, mm -hmm. uh, using appliances without use without like throwing away the manual and then trying to use an appliance without actually using the manual. But Gary, Tom, I, I I failed to pierce the egg. You have to pierce the top of the egg, and you have to be very very um, you have to be very accurate with the amount of water you use. If you use even like two drops too many, you're going to get a hard egg, and I don't like a hard egg. But they're well. It's 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 a well designed machine. You know, you've oh, got some options there. Yeah, I mean, well calibrated. You have a counter space, Gary. No, we did. We did give a counter space, but like it, it's like we would use it here every day. Um, you know, we we were egg mad here, so mm. um, you you can you can poach them or you can you can boil them. I, oh. I like the perfect egg has to be runny yellow, and yeah. solid white. Right. Very hard to nail. And have you have you tried both the boiled and the poached, Gary? And Paul, same question to you. I've tried both. Yeah, the poached wouldn't be for me. Right. Um, they're a bit diddyish. Yeah, I, the, I, the, the poached ones they don't they don't taste like a poached egg. They're kind of like you know those little plastic cups you get. You just crack the egg into it and put it in the microwave for two minutes. That's yes. what that's what yeah. it comes out. It doesn't feel. It doesn't taste like a poached egg. Yeah, kind of jellyish. Do you say they're a bit diddyish? Yeah. That's what I thought you said. Yeah. 
Sorry, the twins just come in there and they're fucking killing each other. Oh, they've been all right. Do you need to intervene? Not, Gizmo sat on Mimi's side of the setting and she was oh, growling at him. He can't hear a fucking thing. What? He can't hear a thing. He doesn't even yeah. know what he's Ah, oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> he'll be living on that for months Gary yeah, he will yeah of course he'll be glad to be doing a Christmas one will you come to Avoca for, to do the Christmas one if you, yeah if you don't only, fucking cancel only if you make us eggs Paul oh Led, listen I mean that like like I said it's there it's th- that's why I gave it counter space it's ease of access yes, ease of access of is the key to a lot of these kitchen appliances you know and have uh, you nailed the boiled egg yet Paul yeah yeah, and it, and do you know what Gary it was like? It was trial and error. It took probably it it took four attempts. You see, I, I'm quite good at I'm quite good at boiling eggs to to the perfect three minutes after the water boils. I always take them off, and it, mm-hmm. and they're always perfect. You know, but what I love about the uh, the egg cooker is you can you can leave it there in perfect confidence while the mm-hmm. eggs are cooking. You can leave the room. You can go and do your bits. You know, yeah. you can. You know, whatever your bits are, I go out and I do bomb squad duty in the garden, picking up Humphrey's poo and stuff. Yeah. Humphrey's dog, by the way. Um, and um, it'd be weird picking up human poo in the garden. But anyway, uh, so you can sort of do all your little bits and pieces um, uh, and, and then come back in total confidence that your egg will be ready. And and they stay hot for ages as well, by the way. Oh, they do, yeah. well, you've, you've given this much more attention than you have the air fryer. Yeah. Right. Well, I think what happened with Paul in the air fryer was, I mean, it took, it was 18 months to get that over the line. Yeah. And I, I think what happened in the end was I done a video presentation, uh, sent it to Paul and Paul showed it to Mary. And then we got sign off from Mary. Yeah. Um, exactly. It took a long time. It did. Yeah. yeah it did. I, but that I, got I, counter space as well, Gary. That got counter space immediately. I mean, what you wouldn't, why would you put a, so you, nobody locks baby in the corner, you know. I ah, know. I mean, the the, the the ninja double double basket air fryer. Yeah. Jesus Christ! I mean, whoever designed it, just g- give them a can of coke. Just exceptional. Yeah, I what? did it. I put a chicken. I just put a whole chicken in one of them drawers, Gary, and it was just oh, under- fucking uh, unreal. D- did he's down first and then torn it for the second part? Yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> Still cooking a chicken that we're talking about, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put the breast down, down to the <laughs> bottom for the, for the first go, yeah, and then turn halfway through. Do you know? I, I have I told you about my mashed potato? No, no, lads. So, so most people will peel their potato, boil them, then mash them. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Nah, uh, uh, doing it all wrong. Whoa, there's a different way. Okay, oh. here we go. Here we go. That's your oven to two twenty. Place your potato in the oven. Jacket, no, uh, 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 place it in the oven in its jacket for half an hour. Pierce it once through the middle and put it back in for another half an hour. Cut it in half and scoop the potato out. Salt, pepper, butter. Thank me later. Gorgeous. All the flavor stays in the potato. When you boil it, the flavor comes out. Boiling anything just takes all the flavors in the water that you throw down the sink, isn't it, Gary? Yeah, yeah. Like even if you if you boil chicken, chicken say for example, chicken fillets to do a quick curry, you know you might as well be putting chewing gum into the fucking curry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll give that a bash. Or now. tripe. That does yeah. sound that that does sound like it'd be worthy of an attempt now. Where did you hear that, Gary? 
a friend of mine who's a chef. Oh, very good. Very good. Very good. Um, and I, is the air fryer your favorite kitchen appliance? Hundred. I I only use the oven now from doing a roast dinner. And is that because of space? No, Lack it's just of. because the, just that the air fryer produces great products. It's it's is easy there a to product? Work, but it's easy to clean. Is so, there a product that you'd like to invent in the kitchen? Oh, very good question. That's, That's a great, great question, Graham. That's a great question. Graham's um, amazing because he, he he's like the questions. His questions don't they don't fall. I'm not saying yours do, Danny. Right, but. Mm. He's still very sharp after an hour and a half, isn't he? Like, I'm knackered. Oh, listen. He's only waking up now, you see. Yeah, there's times see, where you think you have the answers, but it's actually the questions that are being wrong. And that's where Mero corrects the record, you see. You see, Mero finishes work at three o'clock. It's now 11. Yeah. So <laughs> if he hadn't been doing this podcast, he'd run Tinder for eight hours, setting himself up for the next month. <laughs> and then he has a fizzy drink and a few M&Ms and watches a bit of telly. So he's only peaking now. <laughs> my mom came in with washing as you said that oh, sorry Jen sorry <laughs> Jen yeah. can you answer the question please it's a great question Graham. Um listen I think it's unfair to put Gary on the spot like that but what I would say is we can revisit this in the Christmas special yeah. so that he's had a, a, a moment to allow his brain to come up with an invention that would be worthy of counter space very, very good once Paul doesn't cancel a vodka again for the tour year in I, won't a row. Ca- I won't cancel it I was sick last year Right, that's what happened that's... last year. You know, Jeez, the fucking town of him there. Lads, lads, we've got down. we've got through two hours where we haven't had an incident similar <laughs> to the setting on WhatsApp. Can we? I think now was a nice time to end it before we fall out momentarily. See, Paul and Gary usually leave the group, and I win around the WhatsApp group. Mara, will you just stop antagonising for once in your life? For God's sake, Sorry. Is Jen's Gary, where there? would Jen's, where can we have a word? Jen's are is she still there, please? No, she's she left the, the premises. Gary, where will our where do our listeners go to listen to us? Spotify, um, I would say iCloud, uh, <laughs> anywhere you can get a podcast. YouTube, uh, yeah. Sky Q, Sky Glass, yes, Netflix, Skyfall, Skyfall, yeah, Skyfall. We'll be on the RTE player in 2024, just FYI, people. We're looking forward to that. Barely legal. Yeah. Barely, yeah. That's it. Well, I assume we will, Mary. You, your talks with Kevin Backhorst have gone well, I assume. They have. Um, he has asked me, what did I sell in Cadbury's? Brilliant. <laughs> 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 That's a great line, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, Gary, I love when you tweet that. I just love it. Every this is just a reminder. <laughs> no, <laughs> Kelly, if he had a if he had have had Anton about him, he would have just turned around and said potatoes. <laughs> that was the problem. He doesn't have Anton about him. Um, no, I just thought it showed up the gombean nature of Irish politics. Like, yeah, oh, big like, time, just big that, time. Yeah, just gobshitery. Like, you know, yeah. trying to get him to play chocolate bars. Let's get 130 people into the room at a cost of the taxpayer of fucking millions and get absolutely nowhere with it. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Lads, um, thank you as always for, for joining us, especially for this, uh, our 300th anniversary. Um, a pleasure. Congratulations, pleasure lads, as well. And, yeah, well uh, done. It's a, it's a huge achievement. Thank you. Um, thank you. Uh, continued success to the Bodies, Gary, which are Agony Ant Column, Paul, which are many, many projects, and hopefully to be more BAFTAs in your future. And uh, you'll get a moment with Kate Winslet once again. That'd be nice to hear. 
Um, but yeah, thanks everybody for listening and for getting this far. Do make sure to check out this is content when it launches. You'll be able to subscribe on Patreon and OnlyFans. And uh, I'm looking forward. So, but until next week, Mero. Clear eyes, full hearts. Can't lose. Good luck.